Well, I, I guess it's a pretty apparent now since last week that I started a series of bringing to your attention people you may not know. How many have ever heard of the name Ebed Melech? Raise your hands. You were just thinking about him this morning. I'd like, I like to bring up what, what we would consider these obscure people. He only mentioned about six times in the Old Testament. But here he is being remembered by us 4,000 years later. And there's a lesson to be learned. I also write each time we do one of these a script for kind of a little role play. And last week uh, I wrote a little role play for Abigail. And this morning I wanna, I've written a, uh, an interview for an unnamed slave. And you'll see why that's relative, relevant as we go along. A lot of times I like to mix humor in with these uh, role plays, but I didn't today because I think it's uh, something for us to really consider in a sober way. And this morning, our interviewee is going to be uh, shared with us with Brother Dave Hall. And he's going to play the part of an unnamed slave. Well, we're here at a harbor port on the Nile River. It's an important port for all commerce heading to Egypt and Arabia. It's also a place where slaves are loaded on ships bound for sale to the highest bidder. We found a man who is one of those slaves. He refuses to tell me his name, but he's more than willing to talk about his fate. So would you mind telling us how you got into this situation? A group of men, 10, from North Africa came to our village in Ethiopia. They raided our section of the village, beating us as they came. We fought back and they were too strong and too well armed. They kidnapped me, five other men, four girls. One of the men told me we were going to be sold up north as slaves. Do you have any idea what's in store for you as a slave? Do I? Are you kidding? We have heard stories all our life about slave traders and the slave masters. Once you're a slave, you're a slave for life. You're like cattle, maybe less than cattle. You must do what master wants. You must, if you speak out, you are beaten or starved. I have no idea who will buy me or what they will make me do. I only know my life is over. For me, there's no hope, no hope. Well, this may be a very silly question and a very naive question, but how does that make you feel? Feel? I'm not human now. I can't have feelings, but if I were a man I used to be, I would be angry. So angry, I could kill somebody. But what's the use of this kind of talk? When we finish talking, you can go home. But I go to that ship, to my grave. There are people called Hebrews. They believe in a God to whom they pray for help. And uh, when they were slaves, and they were slaves for 400 years, it's reported that uh, he was their strength through many terrible times. I don't know these people, and I don't know 
that God. I prayed to our gods, and as usual, they didn't answer me. My gods can't help me. My family can't help me. My friends can't help me. And you can't help. So no more talk. Just go away. I'm sorry, but I pray that before your story is over, you'll find the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I know he will be your hope and help if you trust in him and you'll find freedom and peace. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dave. So what does it mean to be on the bottom rung of society? What does it mean to be an outsider? What does it mean to be hated for what you look like or how you think? We're becoming outsiders as Christians. We're becoming a minority. Our views are not respected around the country. We are considered to be ignorant. We're considered to be naive at best. Haters, people who only believe in negative things, people who use God as a crutch. My response to that is everybody needs a crutch once in a while. We're all limping. We all hurt. But we don't use God as a crutch in that sense. He is our strength. What's it like to be an outsider and an outcast? In 21st century America, we struggle with matters of race and immigration. They, along with other social issues, divide the country. In the course of the dialogue, there's a lot of heat but there's very little light. Events, circumstances, and our political leaders seem to continually drive a wedge between people, dividing us along racial, gender, economic, class, religious, and political lines. Solomon writes this, and very important to keep this Bible verse in mind. Ecclesiastes 1.9 says, there is nothing new under the sun. This has all happened before. There have always been insiders and outsiders, those who have and those who have not. Sometimes where there seems to be no societal answers to these questions, where do we go? We have to look within ourselves many times. What can we learn from the person of the week, Ebed Melech? I want to explore as we begin our look at his life. A little background, it's 590 BC. The prophet Jeremiah is at it again. He is warning the people of Jerusalem that the city is about to be sacked by the Egyptians. He's suggesting that the Jews ally themselves with the Babylonians for protection. That hadn't happened before. The powers that be don't like the message. And so what do you do? What do people in power do when they don't like the message? They lock up the messenger. They silence the messenger. What do we call it now? Cancel the messenger. Some big shots got word that even though Jeremiah is in prison, he won't shut up, proclaiming his warnings to anyone who can hear him. So they go one step further. They remove him from jail and they lock him up underground in isolation, in an isolation cell. We pick up the account in Jeremiah 38, 7 to 13. Would you stand with me for the reading of this portion of the text this morning? It will be going on. Keep your Bibles open. Jeremiah 38, verses 7 to 13, up there on PowerPoint. Now, when Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs which was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon, 
the king then sitting in the gate of Benjamin, Ebenmelech Eben went forth out of the king's house and spake to the king, saying, My lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon. And he is like to die for hunger in that place where he is, for there is no bread in the city. When the king commanded Ebenmelech the Ethiopian, saying, Take from hence thirty men with thee, and take up Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he dies. So Ebenmelech took the men with him and went to the house of the king under the treasury and took thence old cast clouts and old rotten rags and led them down by courts into the dungeon of Jeremiah. They tore, like putting sheets together so they could get down in the lower part where the dungeon was. Verse 12, And Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian said unto Jeremiah, Now put on these old cast clouts and rotten rags under thine arm, under the cords, and Jeremiah did so. So they drew up Jeremiah with cords and took him up out of the dungeon, and Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. Thank you. you. May be seated. So what did we learn so far? Verse seven. Ebed Melech was an Ethiopian. Ethiopia, around 590 B.C., is a country extending south to Egypt and includes most of modern Ethiopia. It was founded by Cush. He was the son of Ham. Ham was the son of one of the sons of Noah. They were this, they were, their descendants filled North Africa and the Arabian Peninsula. We know that that's been in the news, Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. Their skin was dark in color. The Greeks called them burnt face. They were very hardy people, which made them desirable for slave laborers. Ebenmelech was a slave in the court of the king Hezekiah. There were seven ways that someone could become a slave, how a slave could be acquired. Slavery, by the way, is over 4,000 years old. It's not something new. Not something that just started a few hundred years ago. First of all, Numbers 31, 79 says they, be, well, they were prisoners of war. And as such, they could be made slaves. Second, Leviticus 25, 44 said a slave could be purchased. It's not condoning these things. It's just reporting on these things. This is how it was done 4,000 years ago. Genesis 29, 24, they could be a gift. Can you imagine you can gift another human being to a human being? Leviticus 25, 39, you could become a slave in lieu of a debt. You couldn't pay your debt, so you went into slavery. Somebody, somebody who you owe the money to could make you a slave. Exodus 21.4, you could be a slave by birth. Your parents were slaves. Exodus 22, verses 2 and 3, by arrest, if a thief could not make restitution for what was stolen, could be turned into a slave. And finally, Exodus 21.6, voluntarily. Don't ask me why, I don't know. But you'd want to become a slave. Well, I won't go there. Mosaic laws laid down rules for governing a treatment of slaves. And for the most part, those rules made uh, children of Israel better slave owners than their pagan neighbors. Take a look at some of these things that God said. If you're going to have a slave, and I don't condone it, but this is how they've got to be treated. First of all, Exodus 21, 1 and 2 said that slaves should be freed after seven years. It's called the year of Jubilee. Secondly, Exodus 21.3, slave families must be kept together. One of the things that uh, 
that slave owners down south were infamous for was breaking up families. If these people who say they were Bible believers read their Bible and they didn't have to go too far deep into finding these things in Exodus, maybe things would have been a little different. Exodus 21, 5 and 6, a slave was free to stay with the slave owners if they choose. So if that was their choice, their choice would be granted. Fourth, Deuteronomy 15, 12 to 15, slaves were to be liberally provided for by slave masters once they were free. They needed a helping hand because they had been in slavery. They didn't know how to make a living. And so they were given some financial support. Fifth, Deuteronomy 23, 15, and 16. If escaped slaves came to Jews, they were to be given protection and freedom. That's a lot different than what was going on down south. Verse 7 says that Eben Melech was a eunuch. A lot of people get confused over that terminology. These were men who were mutilated in such a way so that they could not father children. They were pressed into the service of royal courts for a variety of duties. Guards, administrators, attendants, we most of the time think of them uh, taking care of the wives and concubines of the king or pharaoh. Any wonder that the reputation of Ethiopian eunuchs was one of cruelty and violence. That's what they were known for. They were merciless, delighting in hurting, wounding, harassing, and killing. Why? Because they were wounded, and they were hurt, and they were hurting every day of their life. Their masters often employed them to destroy the master's enemies. These royal servants were also renowned as a godless bunch. Verse 9 demonstrates that Eben Melech was different from his peers. Whereas, uh, as a group, eunuchs were cruel, Eben Melech was kind and merciful. Whereas, a, as a group, eunuchs were heartless, Eben Melech was compassionate. Whereas, a group, eunuchs were unjust, Eben Melech, upon hearing of Jeremiah's circumstance, had his sep in his sensibilities demanded justice for Jeremiah. He was different. He says to the eunuch, uh, God says to the eunuch that in heaven he will no longer bear the scars of mutilation. He says to those in slavery, whether to a human master or a godless political system or a myriad of addictions, you shall be free. He says to all who receive his salvation, quote, in heaven there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more oppression, no more injustice, and no more death. All the things we fear in this world, in the here and the now, will not be in heaven. Jesus said to, to us in John 7, 11, 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked you if you believe that. It's the most important question you can ask anybody in life. It's the most important question you can ask yourself. Do you believe what Jesus said? Because if you do that, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross, was crucified, was buried, and rose again for you, it will change your life. If you put your faith and trust in the Jesus of the scripture, he will change your life. 
How you answer that question determines your eternity, whether you'll be in heaven or hell. It can change your attitude. Eben Melech believed God's word, and it changed his life forever. That was the difference between him and his peers. He believed in God. What's the difference between you and me and our peers? Do they see it? Do they hear it? Do they experience it in your presence that there is something different? Verse 9 to 11 shows us that Ebed Melech had the courage of his convictions. First, he had the courage to take a stand against the political religious powers that sent Jeremiah to prison. Then he had the courage to step out of his class and speak to the king. Then, with the king's approval, he pulled off one of the most successful jail breaks in history, freeing Jeremiah. If God be for us, who can be against us is the question. If God's for you, who's going to be against you? What do you fear? Is it illness? If illness is against you, is God greater than your illness? Destitution great? Fearful that you're going to one day be destitute? Isn't God greater than that circumstance? Whatever it is that brings fear into your heart, uncertainty and doubt, God is greater than all of those things. And this man knew that. Neem, uh, uh, Martin Niemöller, who was a pastor during World War II in Germany, he had that kind of courage. Let me share his story. In 1934, Adolf Hitler hum summoned German church leaders to his Berlin office to berate them for insufficiently supporting his programs. Pastor Martin Niemöller explained that he was concerned only for the welfare of the church and of the German people. Hitler snapped, you confine yourself to the church, I'll take care of the German people. Niemöller replied, you said that I will take care of the German people, but we too as Christians and churchmen have a responsibility toward the German people. That responsibility was entrusted to us by God and neither you nor anyone in this world has the power to take it from us. Do you think Hitler was, was applauding? Do you think he agreed and was so thrilled to hear somebody with courage and conviction? Hitler listened in silence. But that evening, his Gestapo raided Niemöller's rectory, and a few days later, a bomb exploded in his church. During the months and years following, he was closely watched by the secret police. And in June 1937, he preached these words to his church, quote, we have no more thought of using our own powers to escape the arm of the authorities that had the apostles of old. We must obey God rather than man. He was soon arrested and placed in solitary confinement. Sounds like Jeremiah. Dr. Niemöller's trial began on February 7, 1938. That morning, a green uniformed guard escorted the minister to his prison cell and through a series of underground passages toward the courtroom. Niemöller was overcome with terror and loneliness. What would become of him? What would become of his family? What would become of the church? What tortures awaited them all? The guard's face was impassive, and he was silent as stone. But as they exited the tunnel to ascend a final flight of stairs, Niemöller heard a whisper. At first, he didn't know where it came from, for the voice was so soft as a sigh. Then he realized that the officer was breathing into his ears the words of Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. 
The righteous run into it, and they are safe. Nemola fell. His fear fell away. And the power of that verse sustained him through his trial and his years in a Nazi concentration camp. Hey, your God is able. Amen? Is your God the same as Nemola's? It is. He is. He can do for your fear what he did for Nemo's and millions of other Christians who have gone through so much. He has courage to give you. He has promised. Upon his release, Jeremiah was hauled before the king. He lost no time in telling King Zedekiah to surrender the city to Babylon. Failure to do so would mean disaster. The king replied on his own judgment and his military advisors. He rejected God's warning and God's word. Sound familiar? The human condition from the Garden of Eden up until today and beyond. The king's rejection had consequences to himself and the nation. Those, those in your life who reject Jesus Christ, there are consequences. A year and a half later, Jerusalem was invaded by King Nebuchadnezzar's army. Zedekiah was captured, blinded, and led captive to Babylon. Jerusalem was destroyed. The prophet Jeremiah, who had often been captured and released and freed. But what about the person of the week? What happened to Ebed-Melech? Jeremiah 39, 15 to 18, I'll read for you. And you can read up there on PowerPoint. Jeremiah 39, 15 and 18, through 18. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah when he was shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Go and speak to Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring my words upon this city for evil and not for good, and they shall be accomplished in that day before thee. But I will deliver thee in that day, saith the Lord, and thou shalt be given, not be given to the hand of men of whom thou art afraid. For I will surely deliver thee, and thou shalt not fall by the sword, but thy life shall be for a prey upon thee, because thou hast put thy trust in the Lord." Ebed-Melech was rewarded by God for his trust in the Lord. Once he was an outsider, and now he was a child of the king of kings. He was once a slave, but now he was made free, free and heir to the riches of heaven. He was once maimed and broken, but was now made whole and could identify with the savior of his soul, whom Isaiah described in Isaiah 53, 3 and 4. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he, Jesus, was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of, his peace, of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. There is an answer to the things that divide people from one another. The answer is neither philosophical nor religious. The answer is a person. He is the only answer to the world today. And his name is Jesus Christ, whom the Son has freed, is free indeed. You are free this morning. You're free to worship Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're free to know him as your personal Savior. You're free to fight against the wiles of the devil. You're free to speak out in this country against anything that is godless. You have the right to vote. You have the right to speak out. You must have the courage to do so. 
This is what we see in the, in the scripture continually. The apostles had the, the, the courage to speak out when things were wrong. They didn't go and hide. They weren't afraid to go to prison. They weren't afraid to be locked in the lowest prisons that you could find. They weren't afraid for their lives, and so they spoke. And I encourage you this morning, follow the slave. Have courage. Be a person of conviction. You know what you believe. Share it with the people around you. Say, but I'm afraid. I, I don't know if my family will receive it. I don't know if the people in my sphere of influence will appreciate. They'll think less of me. So what? What you have to share with them is eternal. They may be a little ticked off for a while, but the reality is you're giving them the keys to heaven, giving them keys to a purposeful life. You're giving them the keys to joy and peace, the same key that God gave you, his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. So this morning, Father, we just pray that you will touch the hearts of those who are here, encourage them with your words, we thank you for all that you do and say. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.